0: Well, good morning, everyone. That's my way of uh, saying good morning. I could definitely get used to this 10 o'clock start time on Sundays. My wife and I have been uh, really casually getting up Sunday mornings, and we actually had a warm breakfast and uh, got here early. And when I heard we're going back to 9 o'clock next week, the rebel inside of me wanted to, like, resist it. But I'm the one preaching, so I can't, <laughs> I can't rebel against that. But um, so it's a little taste of, uh, you know, just... Uh, uh, you know god 's kindness to us, but back to uh, uh work starting next Sunday, so see you here at nine a m um, what a what a joy to gather together i can 't believe it 's already the last Sunday of two thousand and nine uh it 's been a, a tremendous year it 's been a very significant and monumental year uh personally for our family and for our church and so there 's so much I want to say, but our time is limited. Uh, we have a packed schedule. After the message, we'll have our communion service uh, kind of tagged along with our main service We'll have communion uh, together, and as uh, Gary shared, if you're not a believer, we ask you just to observe and refrain, but after our break, we'll have our communion meal, and you're welcome to join us and hear our elders' report and uh, uh, have lunch with us afterwards. Uh, so with our limited time, I just want to share what's foremost in my heart this morning as I As we close out 2009, um, it's a good opportunity for all of us to to stop and pause and reflect on this year and ask yourselves, what's in your heart? What's the most memorable thing this past year? What are you um, most thankful to God for? What is um, resonating in your heart the most? As you reflect on God's faithfulness uh, to you and to your family and to our church this past year. For me, it's, it's clear. I think you know the answer already. <clears throat> I'm most thankful for the gospel of Christ. I discovered something this year <clears throat> that I thought I already knew. Um, I thought I'd studied it, it was something that was uh, basic to me, something that was uh, very familiar. And I discovered this past year that I'd only scratched the surface of God's glorious truth, the gospel of His Son. I had limited, uh, I had a limited view of my own sinfulness and a limited view of God's amazing grace and amazing love to me. And uh, looking back, I am uh, filled with gratitude, filled with uh, joy and thanksgiving to God. For his gospel. Now, a little bit of background story. Background is so important in telling any story. A a year ago this time, my heart was at a very different place. Um, A year ago this time, uh, my heart was um, far from the gospel. I I had been wrestling with a lot of things. It had been uh, four years of uh, a lot of... um, um, continual difficulties and challenges in my life, in our family, in our church. As many of you know, 2005, um, my dad passed away. He had been suffering through uh, uh, ailments and illnesses for several years, and uh, to see her own dad kind of suffering and struggling was a uh, difficult thing, and he passed away in 2005. And for a child to lose his, you know, I I'm, I'm, was mid-30s then, and still I felt like, like a child again, losing my dad, and then starting in 2005, we began that whole ordeal with Ethan, where foster parenting and we almost had him taken away, and that whole roller coaster ride, and that was really hard for us. And then ministry, church, you know, you guys, most of you kind of see just the production on from 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 your perspective, but behind the scenes, it's quite messy, it's quite challenging and difficult at times. And if you want to get a glimpse of what it's like behind the scenes, uh, read 2 Corinthians. Uh, read Job and 2 Corinthians and you kind of get a, get a little glimpse of what is the reality of life behind the scenes. Um, there's, there's challenges without from outside, but the great challenge is a sin within. Um, elders, pastors, leaders, all your caregiver leaders, ministers, we are, you know, Simon Eustace at Peccator, we are at the same time justified, but sinners. So if you are justified in ministering, ministry would be so much easier. Ministry would be easy, but while we're ministering, we are sinners, we're desperately wicked. We are corrupt in our flesh, and our flesh is waging continual guerrilla warfare against us. And that is the enemy that we can't conquer on our own strength. And so that is why ministry is such a challenge, so difficult. And uh, after 15 years in the ministry, and after 10 years as a pastor at Cornerstone, I, I, I hit that proverbial wall um, a year ago at this time. Um, my heart wasn't good. I shared, with, I shared this with you, if you were here, how I felt I was uh, in the fog of war. I felt lost. My heart was unruly. My heart was not tethered right to the gospel and to Christ. And uh, I was struggling because either way, I was going astray from God. It was, it was a no-win situation. If I did well as a husband, as a father, as a Christian, as a pastor, I, I preached good sermons, I counseled well, and I was humble, oh, What would happen? I would boast. I would be filled with myself. I would feel confident. I would kind of walk with a swagger. And I knew that was wrong for me to be proud of my achievements. So I fell astray when I did right. And then of course, when I blew it, when I failed, when I sinned, when I doubted God, and when I struggled in my my pride and my sinfulness, my selfishness, then of course, I was going astray. So either way, I was going astray from God. And I felt there was no way out. All the while... I had to preach every Sunday, and preaching is one of those unique works where it's like where it requires the heart. You know, for, for for you in your profession, you know, you're a small business owner. You go and you have a bad heart. You can still do your work. You know, you're a teacher, and you hate your kids. You can still be a teacher and do a good job. Maybe it'll help you in your teaching career. You know, you're you're a doctor, and you're sick of patients and sick of illnesses and You don't really care for them, but you can still be an excellent uh, uh, doctor. But as a pastor and a preacher, you can't bypass your heart. You can't come up here when your heart is filled with all the things that the flesh produces, you know, bitterness and selfishness and anger, self-righteousness. You can't come up here with that heart and yet preach the gospel of God's grace. You know, the one way is to catar- cauterize your heart, make your heart callous, but that's wrong. One way is to come up here and spill your sins, and that's you know that's not good either. So after ten years of it, wow, it was it was so hard. That's why, um, you know, last year God was so good to us. Uh, you know, where God gave wisdom to the elders to. Give me a sabbatical, a three-month break, to heal and to um, to rest and to get restored. You know, I was playing with an injury, and it was so much so where you play with that injury long enough, it becomes a career-threatening injury, right? You you can't you know, the injuries you can play through, but some injuries you play through it too long, your career is done. And so I wanted to man up and you know like Kobe play with the injury you know keep shooting and be a model leader but it got to a point where it was pride it was foolishness and i needed to uh acknowledge my limitations and took that sabbatical and uh you know i went to the sab- i went into the sabbatical with a severe limp spiritually speaking uh my heart was uh not in a good place um my attitude was i 'm thankful for Christ for carrying the cross, but really, in my heart, my heart attitude was i 'm carrying the cross too right I thank the Lord you know for carrying the cross for me but i 'm carrying the cross too and uh when other people were struggling, part of me was well i 'm struggling too, you know every man for himself right i right? 'm barely treading water i 'm drinking water myself. I hope to see you at the finish line, because I don't know if I'm going to make it myself. It was with those kind of uh, wrestlings of the heart, I went into the sabbatical. And uh, through the sabbatical and through this year, I learned three truths. And I want to just share them with you, with our limited time, and reflect on it on our last Sunday, and, and glorify God together, and give praise to our God together first truth is, um, I, I got a glimpse into God's reason behind our suffering. God's reason behind our suffering. So we're all suffering, all of us. We're all struggling with anxieties that are too great for us. Disappointments in life, whether in people, in ourselves, in our employer, in our spouse, in our children, in our lives, in our, in our, in our government, we, we, we've all lost a bit of ourselves or losing it. And we ask ourselves, what is God doing? Doesn't God know I'm a righteous person? He should be blessing me, not giving me sorrow and suffering. He should give suffering to you know non-Christians or to those unrighteous people. To me... He should only be giving me blessings. You know, when we experience suffering, we ask ourselves, "What is God doing?" I uh, discovered uh, that God is uh, trying to break through to our stubborn hearts. Our ears are so deaf, our eyes are so blind. You know, when God blesses us, He's whispering, but when we suffer, God is using a uh, you know, surround sound, he's using a high-definition TV, you know, he's uh, using a megaphone, screaming at us, and he's uh, pounding into us his gospel. That's the purpose of suffering in our lives. It's not to learn lessons, it's not to become a better person, it's not to just get stronger, you know, whatever doesn't kill me will make me stronger. That's not the purpose of suffering. The purpose of suffering in our lives is so that we might see our limitations, our sinfulness, our unfaithfulness at the heart level. And at the same time, we might see and and not just know intellectually, but experience for ourselves the grace of Jesus Christ. And that kind of uh, knowledge, that kind of gnosis, not... Oidea, the Greek in oidea is just intellectual knowledge, but gnosis is experiential knowledge. That kind of spiritual knowledge comes only by, through suffering, only through our hearts being broken, and being molded back by the gospel of God's grace. Uh, we, we see this in, uh, in Job's life. I, I had an opportunity this week in preparing for um, Debbie's funeral. And uh, her parents are here with us this morning. Uh, I had an opportunity to study Job. This, this epic story. It's the oldest book in the Bible. The first book that God wrote addresses this issue of suffering. God's sovereignty and God's goodness. And our suffering. And Satan comes to God and points out Job. And he says, he's not serving you for nothing. He's got an agenda. He's only serving you. He only fears you. He only loves you because you have blessed him. Bring suffering into his life. Cause him to lose things he cherishes the most, his children and his possessions, and he will curse you to your face and renounce you. And God said, no. Job is a man of faith. He grants, he allows Satan to punish Job. Job loses his possessions, loses his children. He maintains his faith. Satan says, skin for skin, you touch his health. And assuredly, he will turn against you. He will disavow his faith, renounce you to your face. And God said, God allowed it. And we discover there that there is an asymmetrical relationship with God and suffering. It's not a symmetrical relationship. It's an asymmetrical relationship where God allows suffering just enough so that the sufferer would experience God's grace. God gave Satan enough rope, just enough rope for Satan to hang himself. Not enough rope for him to hang Job. So God gives us just enough, 1 Corinthians 10.13, enough suffering, enough pressure, enough heartache, enough sorrow, disappointment, just enough that it will melt our hearts, but not crush our hearts, not break our hearts, but just enough to mold our hearts so that we would see our sins and experience God's grace. So though we feel like God's killing us, why is God killing me? No, God is not killing us. He's saving us. Right? We're saved as Christians, but He's saving us from all the idols in this world, all the idols in our hearts, all the things that ensnare us, keeping, away, keeping us away, leading us astray from our Savior and our Redeemer, our chief love. He's doing all of that to rescue us. He's not killing us. He's saving us. This is why, at the end of the book, in Job 42, Job confesses, and he sees the result of his sufferings. He doesn't know why all this occurred, but the fruit is this. He saw more of his own sinfulness, and he saw much more of God's grace. Job 42 Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Speaking of himself, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? God asked us, who is this talking about things he has no understanding of? Job replied, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things that are too wonderful for me which I did not know. I, I, I trespassed here. I went beyond the bounds. I spoke of things I had no knowledge of. and I will speak. I have heard of you by the hearing of the year. But now my eyes, but now my eyes sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So Job Repented like he never repented before. He repented not, uh, not just of his sins, of his action, of his conduct, of his behavior. But here, because of his suffering and, and seeing God's grace, he repented to the depths of his being, of his heart. He saw for the first time his, his utter depravity, his wickedness, his sinfulness. So he saw that he was far sinful than he ever imagined. At the same time, he saw God's sovereign grace. God's love and kindness, his mercy was far greater than he ever imagined. That's what I, I think we discovered this year. Through the gospel of his son, that the purpose behind our hearts being hearts breaking within us through sufferings of life is so that we might see the gospel, the gospel which exposes our sins, but immediately right after that reveals to us the glory of God's love. The second truth. That I learned this this year is uh, let me tie to the first. For the first time in my life, I saw sin in my righteousness, sin in all my good works, all the things that I boasted in, that I prided, prided myself in. I saw sin. I saw how I was so right, but because I was proud of my righteousness, I was separated from Christ I was reminded and I was taught the love of God with your whole heart soul and mind Temple Logman said that that heart the best English equivalent of heart is motivations so God desires that we love him with right motivations The Bible teaches us we can actually love God or strive to love God with wrong motivations. And so God's concern is what motivates us to serve God, love God, please God is faith and not, not the flesh. Uh, I, was, I was watching uh, <coughs> uh, Iron Man Triathlon was on NBC it was the last week, and I was watching it with my wife, and, uh, you know, it was, it was great. It was Hawaii, and it was high definition, and like a thousand people suffering uh, in Hawaii. So I told myself, I told my wife, I'll give myself a burrito and eat while I watch <laughs> these people suffer. So not, nothing like that in the world, right? And so this guy was, you know, the there's a a touchy-feely side of Ironman triathlons now where they interview these athletes and they ask them, you know, why? You know, why go through this grueling uh, physical endurance test? And one guy was saying, uh, the original 15 uh, triathletes who did this in 1974-75, they were all given a sheet of paper with rules and regulations for the race. And at the end, they had a quote, uh, 2.4 miles of swimming in the open sea, 112 miles of, of, of biking and 26.2 miles running a marathon and a chance to brag for the rest of your life. And he said, that's what's motivating him. That was so revealing. Why would people do this? They would do it only if it's organized and if it's official. They wouldn't do that for no reason. Why? Because they want to brag. They want to boast. Right? Without that, they wouldn't do it. They want to tell people for the rest of their lives, I did the Iron Man triathlon. I finished. I hear proof. Right? So God is concerned, not just that you run the Christian race, but the motivation behind it. And I found out oh, that my righteousness had blinded me, deceived me, and in all my righteousness... What God was concerned about was my motivation. And uh, so much of my motivation was uh, not faith in Christ. But it was uh, ego. (coughs) It was pride. It was um, fear of man. It was guilt. I mean, just even, you know, so much of my ministry was uh, a way to compensate for my own fears and all my guilt. So much was lacking in my personal walk with Christ. So much was lacking in my love for my family and love for you. And I thought if I just worked harder, um, preached better, counseled more, ministered more, studied the Bible more, somehow it would all just even out at the end. And uh, I discovered through the gospel that all of that is rubbish. All of that is skubalon because God's concern is not in the outward result of my works. Really, John 21, Jesus' question to Peter is, Jesus' question to me, and Jesus, God's question to you, do you love me? Are you, uh, motivated by love? And we can't love God unless, we believe He loved us first, so it, are we motivated by faith? Right. I mean, that was, uh, that was profound to me. Uh, it, it, it's bearing fruit, and I'll share this with you, uh, you know, I know we don't have much time, but just to give you an inkling on how the gospel is connecting to practical day-to-day life, um, my wife and I, I got permission to share this, so it's okay, I won't get in trouble, but uh, two months ago, you know, we have a really good marriage, God has grace, He was given us grace, but it's uh, two sinners, we're married together, and, and we get into our share of conflicts, and two months ago, we're getting into this, you know, a, a real doozy, a real like, one of those where like we're not, you know, our hearts are, you know, not good towards each other. So we're getting this conflict. And you know, I'm, I'm a, my profession is speaking. So I'm, I'm, so I'm, I've got my whole thesis down. I've got my points. I got my illustrations. I got my applications. And I plugged up all my arguments with any holes. And I just unloaded on her. Right? Why I am right and she is wrong. And uh, the pattern of our co- conflict is I do something. She gets angry. And then I present my legal argument to her. And the application is she repents and I forgive her. <laughs> okay. So that's been like the pattern of our 11 years. So I'm doing this thing. I'm saying, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, i Surin ABC abcdefgi said this. And I'm very careful. I know, like, I don't ask questions unless I know the answers to them, right? <laughs> and. <laughs> I, I know I, Whatever I say, I know it can be used against me. So I'm very careful that I only say things that can be defendable <laughs> and that are factually true. So I'm very careful with everything I say. So I say all of this, and the conclusion is, I'm right and she's wrong. And then yet God gave me grace where, James, wait a minute. In light of all that you've been learning this past year, and out of all that you've been studying about the gospel, how can you be right? And how I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm trying to look, search for my sinful sin in this. I've got to be, there's got to be sin in this, and I can't find it. And I confess that to Serena. How can I be right? Only Jesus is right. I've got to be wrong somewhere. And then I realized, I was wrong in my motivations. The reason for me arguing with her, presenting all my evidences, illustrations, and and defending myself, the motivation wasn't the gospel. It wasn't because I loved Christ or I loved my wife. It was all because I loved myself. And and I I realized it wasn't the gospel. What was motivating me was uh, was fear of man. I, I want my wife you know, to love me, to accept me, and you know, to worship the ground that I walk on. You know, <laughs> I I, I, have, I have guilt towards my wife because she serves, she lives to s- serve me and my family, our fam- my children. I have so much guilt towards her. I have so much uh, shame towards her because of my lack as a husband and as a father. And so that's what's motivating me to argue against her. It's not because I love God or love Christ or love my wife. So for the first time in our 11 years of marriage, I was able to confess my sin. And it wasn't, oh, I did the wrong thing or I said it in a wrong way or, oh, I got, I, my tone was, was wrong, like as a legalist would. I was able to see sin at, at, the, at my heart level, at my motivation. And God reconciled us where we're both confessing of our sins at a heart level, where it's so different. And our confession was uh, joyful because the same gospel that exposes our sinful motivations, the same gospel that tells us that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing through the cross of His Son. And our unity is not based on our ability to forgive one another. Our unity is based on God's forgiveness of one another. So it's completely different. Therefore, we end our year giving thanks to God for allowing us to see sin in our righteousness. And third and final thing that I learned this year, we as a church learned is uh, what I've been talking about for the past 12 months and what I've been talking about all day this morning. I've discovered that the gospel is the power of God for salvation and sanctification and self-image and self-identity and the power of God to fight idols and the power of God that will glorify us and bring us to heaven. I had limited the gospel just for my salvation. I believed, by grace through faith we are saved. And to be sanctified, to grow as a Christian you need to work. All right? If you work hard you will grow. If you don't work hard then you'll be a loser. You'll fail as a Christian. And then, because you're saved, you still go to heaven at the end. And because of that, I I really believe this. Um, I've been struggling with some kind of flu, cough, something for the past three weeks. And even with the gospel, it's so different being sick. Like before, when I was sick without understanding the gospel... I was restless. I, was, I felt guilty. I felt it was some kind of a punishment. And you know, when you get sick, you think about death. And I thought, and if I died right now, God will be disappointed in me. Right? There will be 3% of God's wrath waiting for me. Because there's so much of my life that I'm ashamed of. So much of my life where I I failed God, I failed people, and if I were to die right now, man, I I'd, be, I'd be 3% of God's wrath waiting for me. Well, I discovered this year through the Gospel that all of God's wrath has been poured out on Christ. The cross exhausted God's wrath for His people. Jesus was victorious. He made full payment for our sins on the cross. So nothing I do, can add to God's pleasure for me, and nothing I do in terms of sin, can take away God's pleasure in me, because it's been fully accomplished, on the cross of Christ. Romans 1, 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, for salvation for the Jew first, and to the Greek for the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is not just entrance into salvation. The righteous, we are righteous by faith. We live by faith. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live, what? By my works? Relying on my flesh? On myself? No, life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who past has loved me once for all, who gave himself up for me once for all. It is by that faith I and we all live that is uh what we discovered this past year that that God's love through the gospel is much greater than we ever imagined and you know every day since this discovery has been a day of discovering my sinfulness in a greater way and at the same time immediately discovering how greater God's love is. And I'm discovering there is no end to this discovery. That every single day is us discovering more and more of our sinfulness. Yet our hearts are full of joy because we discover more and more of God's love and God's grace. So what is um, the prayer... What is my prayer? What is the prayer of the elders of Cornerstone? For 2010 and the future. Our prayer is that God would give us grace in each of us. Where you put the gospel at the center. That God would put the gospel at the center of our hearts. That outwardly we're being destroyed. 2 Corinthians 4.16 Our our outer nature is wasting away. We are jars of clay. We're clay pots, right? Physically, we're wasting away. But the treasure is the gospel that's within us. And because of the gospel, our inner nature is being renewed every day. That is our prayer. And so I am, I mean, so um, confident in Christ for the future i can 't wait for two thousand and ten you know there's no fear or anxiety there's no doubt because i've tasted and experienced the power of the gospel, and the gospel promises a spiritual revival continually in our hearts in our churches and as god 's will God's wills in our community and in this world we've uh tasted um a little bit of revival in our church this past year. You know, there are three signs of revival. Uh, Richard Lovelace, Dynamics of Spiritual Life. I'm reading that, and he's a professor at Westminster, and he was he studied church history and was talking about all the Great Awakening, first, the second one, and the Jesus Movement. Three signs of revival. The first sign is uh, non-believers become believers. Non-Christians become Christians, and we've seen that in the church, in our church this past year. But he said the second one is, the, is more, more significant: is Christians wake up to the gospel. Right? Your duty-filled Christians, right, who are faithful, diligent, committed to Christ. Like the penny drops. Right? I mean, let me, let me steal from Keller. One last time this year, before the year is over, let me steal from him. But he talks about, you know, these uh, uh, drink dispensers, a Coke machine, and you put your c- quarter in, and nothing happens. The quarter's in, but nothing's happening. So you got to pound on that machine, and then the quarter drops, and then you get your Diet Coke, right? What's well, it safety for a lot of Christians? You have the gospel, but no Diet Coke because you have the gospel but it hasn't dropped yet so you got to pound on your, on your stubborn head and pound that hard heart and, and how does God pound? it's through suffering right? through disappointments right? through heartaches through pain God is pounding at your heart and then Christians the coin drops all of a sudden all of a sudden you get it you get the gospel You wake up right, and you're broken, you're set free from legalism. You're set free from this drudgery, this this law as a burden, right? Being tied to do's and don'ts, right? This slavery mentality of fear of man. You're set free to the freedom of the gospel, where you live out the freedom that Christ has given to love God and love others by faith, not by works this second sign of revival, we've, we've seen it in our church. We've seen it in our elders and pastors. We've seen it in our caregiver leaders. We've seen it in our members. Where I've had people come to you and say, come to me and say, James, how could I not have seen this? My heart's so different. For the first time since I got saved, I'm experiencing true love for Christ. I'm loving Christ for nothing. I don't have an agenda. I used to. But for the first time, our heart is set free by God's love to serve God for nothing. I don't want anything else but Christ alone. And the gospel is doing this. That is the second sign of revival. The third is, when there is enough of both, of non-believers being saved, and believers getting the gospel, non-believers come and see, and even non-believers say, this is a beautiful thing. I don't know exactly what's happening here. I don't understand the gospel, the scriptures. I don't understand all of these you're talking about, but what I see is beautiful. And we had a young man who had left our church eight years ago with anger and resentment. He visited us he was out of town, he was was visiting his family, he visited us, he said, James, what happened to this church? I don't know what's happening, but it's beautiful what's happening here. Even as a non-Christian, I want to take FOF. I want to come to service. I want to join this church. Even if I never trust in Christ, I want to be part of this church. Because what's happening here is so amazing. That is our prayer. Prayer. For 2010 and for the future, that God would grant this kind of revival in our hearts, in our families, and in our churches. And what do we need to do? John 6:25. The work of God is this: to believe in the one whom God has sent. That is our work: to behold Christ, to trust in Christ depend on him to hope in him to rest in him alone that is our work and God has given us that gift by grace and as we do so God will renew our hearts day by day let's pray Well, God, our hearts are uh, profoundly moved by the gospel of your Son. Lord, we bar our heads low because it was our sins who put you on the cross. But you lift our heads. Lord, we expect to be cast away from your presence, but instead you draw us near. With eyes of tears, you beckon us forward. You embrace us. You lavish us with your kisses. Lord, you welcome us into your family. And Lord, you bestow on us the great privilege of be called your sons, being a part of your family, all by grace. Lord, uh, we are the most blessed people in all the world, in all of history, because of the gospel of your son, because of the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we end this year giving thanks to you for the cross of Christ, And Lord, we begin next year, 2010, continuing uh, to bless you, praise you, uh, blessing your name because of your son. Lord, we pray that uh, you will find faith in us. Faith that impels us to serve you for nothing love you simply because you first loved us in your son's name we pray